0: So today we're back uh, in our vintage series. Uh, if y'all could scramble through and find me two batteries in that box down there, that would be awesome. It would be better for everybody, I promise. Um, and today we're we're gonna be similar on timeline as to where we were last week. Last week we talked about uh, those three dudes, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You know, great story uh, that we've heard since childhood, and we just kind of looked at it as to what it means uh, for us now. Um, and today, similar timeline, but kind of written to a different audience. Um, we're going to be in the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah was a prophet, and uh, his people, it was Israel, but specifically southern kingdom Judah, and he was writing to them. He wrote to them before they were exiled, and he would uh, write to them during their exile as well. And, and today, we're going to see, man, a passage in which uh, we've probably talked about at length um, in a different context. Uh, We talk about the fact that, you know, our mission here in Greenville is we we are here to make disciples who love God, love one another, and love the city. And when we talk about loving the city, you know, this city, and also where we're put regardless, you know, this is kind of our go-to passage, where we're going to be today. Um, But I wanted us to look at this particular passage. Man, this is going to be so much better. Just wait. Mind blown. Thank you. Never mind. It's all right. (laughs) By the way, Tyler, thank you for standing in for John today. Uh, John and his wife, uh, John's our our normal worship leader. They're out in Zion hiking with their family this week, so um, don't send them any messages. They won't get them anyway, but Tyler, great job today. Um, And so we're going to be looking at a passage in particular that he's writing to them while they are there. And so to kind of recap, Nebuchadnezzar, the king at the time, we talked about him last week. If you missed that, go back and look um, around uh, towards the... In the 600 BCs, they went and they basically raided Jerusalem and they raided Israel and they started taking people out and taking them into captivity um, and to live with them. We talked about Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego last week. This week, we're talking about some other people, not necessarily by name, but by people. Um, And so this was, uh, you could see it from two different places. Like politically, you could look at it as a political action on the part of uh, Nebuchadnezzar and his people. Uh, going in and sacking Jerusalem, actually destroying Jerusalem, destroying the temple, taking people out. But from a personal perspective, if you were an Israelite or if you were from Judah, you knew that deep down this was your fault, that this was punishment that had been told that was going to come to you because you had, um, I'm looking around to see what kind of ears we have, Uh, we've got all old ears. Basically, the prophets had been saying, Israel, uh, you are whoring yourself out. Uh, You are going after other gods, you're making yourselves very low, and and you keep doing it over and over and over. And as a result of that, punishment's coming, and the punishment came in the form of exile. You would be taken from where you know is home and placed somewhere else, and you were going to be there for 70 years. And they knew this was coming. And so a lot of them, may had heard about it, they had heard about it for years, and then when it happened, maybe it still didn't dawn on them, but at some point, they were like, oh, I remember, this is my fault. And so two perspectives, one a political action, one very much their fault. And so we're going to pick up in Jeremiah chapter 29, and this, a little bit, it's going to tell us exactly what I told you, Uh, but we're going to focus kind of on verses uh, 4 through 7. So let's go ahead and jump in. Jeremiah chapter 29, it's going to be on the screen as well. It says, these are the words of the letter that Jeremiah, the prophet, sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders of the exiles and to the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This was after King Jeconiah and the queen mother of the eunuchs, the officials of Judah, the Jerusalem, the craftsmen, and the metal workers had departed from Jerusalem. The letter was sent by the hand of Elisa, the son of Shaphan, and Gamariah, the son of Hil- Hilkiah, and Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to Babylon, to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. So here's the deal. Um, it's just saying this is when it was sent. This is who's sending it. That was kind of like the identifier. But here's what he says. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. Let me pray, and then we're going to jump in. God, we love you. Uh, We thank you for your word. We thank you for even the difficult words uh, in your scriptures, God, uh, that are directed towards your people across all time and across all genealogies. God, today I pray as we look at this that you would speak, that you would guide us, you would direct us to see what you're saying to us and what we need to do in light of that. Thank you for your word. Thank you for Jesus uh, who makes us right with you, and it's in his name we pray. Amen. So, here's the tension. Like these people living in Babylon under the rule of Nebuchadnezzar, um, it would have been incredibly easy for them to say, we are captives, because they were. They were captives. They were kidnapped from where they were, from what they knew as their home, their kingdom, and they were placed somewhere else. So they could have easily lived as captives. And most likely, maybe even before this word, maybe even after this word, maybe they did, but here is what is being told to them now. God could have easily said, like anybody that goes to prison, I've never been to prison, but I've watched a lot of shows that talk about prison. Jim, Jim Whitworth worked in prisons for a long time as a warden, so he may have even heard these words. When you get to prison, when you're a prisoner, keep your head down and do your time. Don't make enemies, don't make friends, just keep your head down, do your time. It would have been incredibly easy for the people of Israel to do this. They knew they were being sentenced for 70 years. This is from the mouth of God, through his prophets. It would have been incredibly easy for them just to go, keep their heads down, do their time, and get out. But the word of the Lord came to them from Jeremiah, and he says something entirely different. Something entirely different. He says, yes, you're going to be there for 70 years. Yes, this message has come from the Lord, and you need to hear it, and here is what he says. Build houses, plant crops, eat those crops, marry, have children, let them marry, see your grandchildren, seek the welfare of the people in which you live amongst. Pray for their welfare, and in their welfare, you will find yours. That word welfare is the Hebrew word of shalom. And so most of the time here, it's translated as as welfare, but like the idea behind this word is like God's peace. Like God's peace. Not like just man-made peace, not political peace, not just ceasing of war, but like God's peace, the peace that only he can give. And so God is telling his people, he's like, yes, you're in captivity. Yes, you were there as a result of your uh, your idolatry, you going to other gods. But while you were there, understand, put down roots. And don't just put down roots, but be concerned for your captors. When we read any place in Scripture, there's a couple questions that we have to ask. Um, after determining who it's written to, why it was written, all of those things, understanding the occasion of that, we have to ask, we have to ask the question, um, how does this apply to me, and then what do we do with it? And there's a couple of verses that come after this that is probably one of the verses that's removed from context and quoted most often in a terrible way, uh, more than probably any other place in Scripture. Uh, if you go down to verse 11, it says this, it says, and you've probably heard it, it says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare, not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. And then even below that, it says, uh, I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I've driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I have sent you in exile. Most of the time, people will take that verse and they'll say, man, God intends for me to have a lot. He told me right here. He has has intentions to prosper me. This passage is written to a specific people at a specific time for a specific purpose. And our job as students of Scripture is to say, uh, what does this mean to them? What does it mean to me? And what do I do with it? So first of all, I I want to point out a couple of things. If you were the exiles um, in this place who had been taken captive, even if it was your fault, this would have been incredibly offensive to you. It would have been. Because these people came into your town, they destroyed your town, they destroyed the temple of your God, even though you had been worshiping other gods in a mix with them. And and they had done all this, and now God is telling you, um, you need to be concerned for them. Not only do you need to be concerned for them, you need to want my peace for them. And you need to work for it. You need to pray for it. You need to seek it. Because in the peace that you find for them, you'll find yours. This would have been incredibly offensive. They would have been like, man, these people, they destroyed our temple. They destroyed my home. They may have killed some people that we loved. Um, Right now, there's a giant golden statue that they're telling us that we have to bow down to, and if we don't, we can be thrown into a fiery furnace. Turned out good for three of them, but maybe not for me. This would have been incredibly offensive. And we read all of that, and the first question is, um, does this apply to me? We haven't been taken from our home. We haven't been taken captive. We haven't been placed somewhere else as a sentence for 70 years. But let me, let me go ahead and point out the similarities. Um, this is it's crazy. Philippians 3.20 and First Peter both agree that uh, Philippians 3.20 tells us that our citizenship or the place that holds our name as citizens of that place is not here. If we are followers of Christ, if we have been bought by the blood of Jesus, we've been made right with God by grace through faith, the Spirit now indwells in us, I have to tell you, and you need to hear and you need to understand, this is not my home. It's not your home. This is just a place we're going to be for a while. But it's important to note that even though this is not my home, it's not uh, the place where I'm going to spend eternity, God didn't take me from this place immediately either when I gave my life to him. He didn't relocate me. He redeemed me, but he didn't relocate me. He left me here. He left you here. If we go a little bit further, First Peter, he's talking to a group of believers, and he says, you are sojourners or you are strangers and aliens to this place. You are strangers and aliens. So as much as the people of Judah were exiles and they were not in their home, man, the greatest similarity right here, right now, is that this is not our home either. As much as we love this place, as much as we love this city, like we even talk about loving the city, and I'll be honest, for us, it's easier than it is for a lot of people because we live in a great city. Like Greenville, like I grew up here, I moved away, I came back. It's a completely different place, and it's amazing. And it's filled with great people, with great things. It's great to love this city, but I have to understand, this is not my home. This is not my home. So one way that it does apply is that, man, we're living in a place that's not not home. This is not ultimately where we're going to be forever, and it's not the place that we should long for. Understand, these people, man, they were, they were longing to be back home. Babylon was not where they were born. It's not where they wanted to be, uh, but it's where they were, and God said, while you're there, put down roots. Put down roots. Seek the welfare. Seek the shalom of the people that you're among. Uh, pray for that, and in that, you'll find yours too, even though you're not at home. And the first similarity, they were exiles. We've been reborn into a place of exile. We've been placed, we've been pulled from the world, sanctified, set apart, being made more like Jesus, and we've been placed in the exact same place that we were, but we're different now. This is no longer home. So just as they were exiles, we were exiles, strangers and aliens. And I think the same is true. The other similarity here, too, he's telling them, put down roots, build houses, have babies, get married, in in the opposite order that I mentioned it, and then, you know, let your kids get married, have babies, welcome your grandkids, do all of that. Man, when we're here, wherever you are, I think we need to understand, we must put down roots. The pattern of society right now is to, man, uh, high-speed, low-drag, that we don't need to put down roots anywhere. We need to be ready to move at the drop of a dime. Don't buy a house. Don't sign a long-term lease. Don't do any of that kind of stuff. And I'm not telling you you need to go buy a house. I'm not doing that. But, hey, wherever you are, invest for however long you're here. I understand the nature of Greenville, like the nature of this city, as great as it it is, uh, man, 6 to 16 months. For a young professional moving to Greenville, 6 to 16 months. That's the average. Come in, get a job, climb the ladder. Oh, somebody in Charlotte offered me a better job. I'm gone. It's a good thing I only signed a month-to-month lease, paying 45% more than I should have. But anyway, that's, that's a Dave Ramsey kind of a thing. You should listen to him and talk to him about that. But gone. 6 months, 16 months, 6 years. It doesn't matter. Man, put down roots. Now, for them, for them, it was build a house. Plant a garden, not just a garden, but like a field. Eat of that produce. Say, Do something that says that you're going to be here for a while. For us, it looks different. I don't even really think it's about the house. I don't think it's about the lease. It's about this. It's about relationships. If we're going to invest and we're going to put down roots wherever we are, whenever we are, it's all about whoever we're with. It's about the who, not the where. We need to invest and put down roots. And roots for us in this climate and in this culture, it comes in the form of relationships. And so if you get to a city, maybe you've just moved here. I don't know everybody that's here today. Maybe you just moved here, and you're afraid to get to know anybody because you know that you're going to be gone in three months. It doesn't matter. Invest. Get to know people. Find out who they are. Let them know who you are. Share your story. Hear their story, especially if you're both believers. Because, again, God didn't come to redeem a person. He came to redeem a people. We're best as a people. Be people together. Be a family. Together, the similarities, we're exiles, and we need to put down roots. Here's a couple things that this passage, I think, makes us, makes us do. Um, I think if we look at it well, I think the first thing that it, it causes us to do, now that we know that it applies to us, too, is that um, we have to put to death this us-versus-them mentality. We have to put to death the us, us versus them mentality. And I realize it's a very politically charged climate right now. I get it. I get it. I, I hate it, to be honest. I mean, just, just me being honest, I, I can't stand it. I, I hate it. I think it's ridiculous, and I, um, I, can't, even, I can't even watch the news most days because I'm just like, I'm done. I'm out. But understand, like, the people here, it would have been so easy for them just to, to go and, and build their fences around their little Judah community, grow their own crops, do their own deal, and, and never think about the people outside of their walls and be like, hey, this is mine. You stick to yours. We're going to be okay. I don't like you. You don't like me. So let's just, let's just spend our 70 years. Let us get out of here and let's just be done. But the word of the Lord came to him and said, no, no, no. It's not what I want. Not what I want. He says, I'm not putting you there so that you can be against them. He said, by the way, your punishment that you're enduring, it's for them. Your punishment that you're enduring, these people, it's for the thems, the Babylonians. Here's the reason that God doesn't yank us. The moment that we say, uh, God, my sins, by comparison to you, they stink. They're horrible. I don't want them anymore. Will you forgive me of my sins through the blood of Jesus? Make me right with you. I trust in his life, his death, his words, and his resurrection to make me right with you. And I believe in you, in you alone. The moment that we do that, the reason that he doesn't yank us and take us and put us in our, eternity, our eternal dwelling place where we're going to be forever is because of them. All the thems. All of those who are not yet children of the same God that we are. And he says, I leave you here so that my word, my truth can be heard by all. Can be heard by all. And we'll never do that if we think that we are in opposition. If we have an us versus them mentality. As a matter of fact, it's got to be us for them. It has to be us for them. Even those who are opposed to you politically, even those who are opposed to you by the way that you believe doctrinally, even those who are opposed to you at your face at work, it doesn't matter. We were left here for them. For all the thems, for your neighbor across the street for your neighbor next door, for the person in the cubicle beside you who chews way too loud, for all of those things. My wife has food noise problems, so I can, I can kind of identify with that. For all the thems, we were left here for them. And, man, the direction that God is giving these people uh, is, is the same as it is for us. He says, seek their welfare. Seek their welfare. Pray for their welfare. And in their welfare, in their peace, you will find yours. So it can't be us versus them. It has to be us for them. Um, and man, here, here's the other thing we have to do to how we do it, what we do. We have to understand it's not us uh, against them. It's, it's us for them. But the second, we have to understand that the ultimate best or the ultimate shalom only comes through Jesus. And so if we're left here for a purpose... If we're left here for the welfare of all the others, all of those who do not yet know Jesus, if we're left here for that reason, we have to understand that the ultimate shalom, the ultimate God's peace, comes in the form of the gospel being realized by all people. And so that means that when we're in our workplace, when we're in our neighborhood, the the welfare that we're seeking for those is that they may be united with Jesus just as we are. And guess how that occurs? It comes through them hearing the gospel from us. It does. Like, there's no way around it. Like, it doesn't come from just us being nice. It doesn't come from us baking Ghirardelli brownies every week, which are the best, and they are holy. Um, It doesn't come from just that, but it comes from us establishing relationships, seeking the best for them, praying for their salvation, and when we have the opportunity, getting to share the truth of the gospel with them, so that every man, woman, and child has repeated opportunities to hear and respond to the gospel. It takes us actually sharing the gospel verbally with words. There's no way around it. The gospel cannot be translated any other way except by words. And if we want the ultimate welfare, the ultimate God's shalom for people, it comes in the form of the gospel. Now, to get to that point, there's a lot of other things that we should seek for them, like welfare. Man, uh, there are organizations in Greenville that do it every single day. They want to end all types of poverty, and we should want that too. We should want poverty to be eradicated, absolutely. We, we should want that type of welf- welfare for people, that type of shalom for people. We should go after that. Like Food for the Hungry, the whole reason that we're partnering with them and going to Guatemala is they seek to eradicate all forms of human poverty around the world. Human poverty starting at poverty from the gospel and alienation from God, leading to the fact that they can't eat, leading to the fact that they can't feed themselves because they don't have a job, er eliminating and eradicating all of those things. The heart of God is that, man, people would experience shalom, his peace. He leaves us here for that purpose. Ultimately, it culminates with the gospel, but sometimes in order to get there, we have to build steps, we have to patch roofs, we have to provide food, we have to provide services, we have to do all those things, sometimes just to get there. And we do that. We should want that. If we're us versus them, that stuff will never happen. It'll never happen. We'll say things like, well, they should just pick themselves up by their bootstraps. Guess what? A lot of people don't have bootstraps. I made my way. They can too. A lot of people can't. That's another day. Here's the third thing that we need to do. He says this, uh, he says, But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. Man, we need to pray for our city. Pray for our city, pray for our neighborhoods. Every single major work of God is always preceded by prayer. There's no way God's going to do something huge unless his people pray for it. And that's not limiting God. No, no, no. It's just the way that it works. He desires for us to be united with him through prayer, aligned with his will. That's what prayer does. And we need to seek and ask. If we want to see this city radically transformed for Jesus, guess what? We need to pray for that to occur. And I know, like, the deeper we get into theology and we've had these conversations, like, it's hard to imagine if God has a plan, especially if we read verse 11, and then we think, well, how do my prayers interact with all of that? How do they make a difference? I don't know, but they do. Because Scripture also tells us the prayers of a righteous man are powerful. Guess who's righteous? All of those who have been united with God through Jesus, trusting in his righteousness, not mine. And so God says that my prayers are powerful. How does that work? I don't know. I have no idea. I couldn't whiteboard it. I couldn't figure it out. But guess what? Scripture tells me it's true, so I kind of have to believe it. If we want God to change the city, if we want God to change our neighbors, if we want God to change the person in the cubicle right beside us who chews almonds louder than anybody we've ever heard, we have to pray for it. We have to seek God on their behalf, seeking welfare for them. We want want to see God change our children. And if you're walking around with children and you want your children to know the same God that you do, to be united with Him through salvation, it starts with prayer. It starts with every night, every morning, praying for your children, letting them hear you pray for them, doing it repeatedly, often seeking the Lord on their behalf over and over and over because we want what's best. Man, it means that we pray for Knox White. I got to sit with Knox White a little while back. I may not agree with him on everything, but guess what? He's the mayor of this city. He's leading the charge for the things that this city does. If we want to see the city change, we pray for Knox White. We pray for the principals at the schools that are right down the street. We pray for our kids' teachers. We pray. We begin all of these things, all of these works that we think we need to do in order to seek the welfare for people by prayer. Just, just doing it. We're going to have a series of prayer in, in a couple months, and we're going to talk about what this looks like. But in the meantime, man, make a list. Where are the places that you want to see God work? Where are the places that you want to see God move? Write them down and begin to pray for them diligently. And let people see it. We're not doing it for show, but if you want to put them on your refrigerator and people come in and say, what's that? Say, hey, those are the things that we're praying that God will change. That's okay. You're not infringing upon anybody's rights to tell people what you're praying for. It's okay. And maybe it's even encouraged. Man, do this too. We've got partner churches in downtown Greenville and around the city who are going after the same thing that we are. Pray for them by name. We got to pray for Reconcile last week, a partner church or two weeks ago um, that we support financially, but we also support prayerfully and, and those types of things. And I love Will and his wife and what they're doing. Man, pray for them. Pray for Grace. Pray for First prayers, Pray for Downtown Prez. uh, Pray for all those churches who are going after the gospel in our city. We're not against them. We're all going after the same thing. We may be doing it in slightly different avenues and different spaces with with different models, but it's the same Jesus, same gospel, same pride and pleasure that God takes in His people, taking up arms for the gospel, to love people. Same thing. Pray for fellow churches. Man, here's here's the fourth thing that we do. And this is not resting on an organization or the church or anything else. Find ways to make our city better. Find ways to make your surroundings better. Man, if we look at the Sermon on the Mount, we go to Matthew um, chapter 6. Let me read this really quickly. Matthew chapter 6, verse 13, it says, You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that others may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. The entirety of that passage is we have been left here to make life better. Make life better. Unfortunately, we've become far more known about the things that we're against instead of the people that we're for. The church, that's the we that I'm talking about. We're, we're far more known for the things that we're against instead of the things that we're for. And guess what we're left here for? We've already talked about it. We're left here for them. For all the thems that do not yet know. And the salt, the whole point of salt, salt was supposed to add value. It was supposed to make things better. Man, we've been left here for the same reason. We should be making our neighborhoods, our workplaces, our cities better because we're there. Have we? Have I? Is my neighborhood better because I'm there? And not just because I I would pay homeowners fees. I mean, homeowners association fees, if we had them, I don't. But, you know, I'm talking about like really better. Is it better? Look for ways to make your city better. Man, a couple organizations that we trust, we'll, we'll put them in the announcements at the end. Like Mentor Upstate, super easy. I think we've got three people within Origins right now that have signed up for Mentor Upstate. Uh, 30 minute. I mean, one hour training, 30 minutes a week, you get to go and sit with a student. You can do it before school, you can do it after school, you can do it at lunch, 30 minutes. 30 minutes. You're not a tutor, um, you're not a life coach, you're just a voice, Man, and hopefully with us, we're a voice that is originating from a place in here that's been infected and inhabited by the Spirit of God, and so we get to take that into those lunchrooms, into those classrooms, into those libraries once a week, and we just get to sit and listen. I meet with a boy named Chance every week, um, and I've struggled to connect with him. I was telling Neil about this. Uh, I feel like I've really connected with Chance twice over the past year and a half. One time, was at the end of the year, I took him a book about LeBron James. He loves LeBron James. And so I found the biggest book that I could find with huge pictures and and easy to read words, and I took it to him, and that boy was about to explode. LeBron James. Loves LeBron James. I found out the other thing that he loves, like me, is chicken wings. I love chicken wings. Man, I I could eat them every day. And so one day, uh, one Wednesday, I told him, I said, hey, next week I'm going to bring you lunch, so, so don't go through the lunch line. And I showed up with a big old box of chicken wings, and I didn't bring enough. I did not bring enough. Like I tapped him in the lunch line because he forgot. And I said, hey, man, I brought us lunch today. And he kind of looked at me and his teacher said, do you want to get what's in the line? He said, what would you bring? I said, man, I got us a lot of wings. And he he just, man, he about exploded. And we just sat down and we just ate wings. May have said ten words. Some of his words that he said is chicken wings are my favorite. Chicken wings are my favorite. I'm like, me too. Thirty minutes a week. Thirty minutes a week. And you just get to sit and listen. Some weeks, to be honest, it's like pulling teeth to get him to talk. But you know what? He expects me there every single Wednesday. He doesn't know me. But what he does know is somebody's going to be waiting for him every week. 30 minutes a week, mentor upstate. Maybe maybe you're a believer and you're feeling kind of pulled right now towards foster care. I love the families in our church right now that we can celebrate and say thank you for doing that. Thank you for fostering because I think it demonstrates the gospel probably better than any physical act that we can possibly do. Foster and adoption, incredible. Um, it's crazy. Like right now in, in Greenville County, uh, 495 children in foster, waiting for foster care right now. 495. There are only 357 approved families. 495, 357. Guess what? It doesn't add up. But get this. If every third evangelical church fostered one child, it would be taken care of. Let me say that again. If every third evangelical church in Greenville fostered one child, all of those kids would not be waiting for a foster family. About about 11, you know, uh, I think 1,000, close to 1,100 evangelical churches in the the Greenville County area. Yeah, it's about three times the number of kids that are waiting to be fostered. If you want to do that, hey, November 19th uh, at JL Man, there's a foster event. Uh, and it just, it's just going to give you the information. You don't have to sign up for anything. You don't have to say, hey, sign me up. I, I want a kid tomorrow, none of that. But you just can learn and listen. Maybe you've never even thought about it, but maybe you've got a spare room. Maybe you can put a couple kids in an extra room, and you don't, yeah, there's some, there's some information right there. Maybe you want to do that. Man, just find them on Facebook. You know, I know a lot of millennials don't have Facebook anymore. I'm sorry. But maybe sign up for an account just to, to find out a little more about them and go and do that. Maybe, maybe it's this. Maybe you just go and volunteer at a school close to you. Maybe it's not through Mentor Upstate. Maybe you just go to the office and say, hey, I can give you 30 minutes a week. What can I do? Can I pick up trash? Okay. Can I I put on a hairnet and serve lunch? Sure. Why not? Background check first? Sure. Okay. But do whatever. Find, Find a way to make life better. We're supposed to be salty, like salty good, not salty like pirates. Salty good, that we're making things better. We're adding to the value of our city. Is your neighborhood, is your city, is my neighborhood, is my city better because I'm here? Seeking the welfare, the shalom of wherever we are. Man, Rebuild Upstate's another one that we partner with. There's flyers back there. You don't have to wait until we have an event. Maybe you can just call them, say, hey, I can swing a hammer. I might not be able to do it well, but I can do it. Can I help? They'll say, okay, show up this time. uh, Mill Community Ministries, our community group got to go and serve a meal for them in a bit of a a chaotic mess this past week, but it was still great. Uh, There were were a lot of kids that were just like, hey, why are you here? We're just like, hey, we just wanted to take care of you tonight. Thank you. Uh, We're going to eat with you. We made uh, 40 pounds of macaroni. Um, Please eat as much of it as you can. I can't take it home. My wife would kick me out. Cheese and I, we don't get along. Um, But find a way. Just find a way to to make your city, your neighborhoods, uh, the world around us better. And guess what? Here's the beauty of this. The same way with the people of God here in Judah, um, from Judah in Babylon, wherever they went, the message of God went with them. Wherever we go, the gospel's with us. All we have to do is say it. That's all we have to do. It's not up to us to save anybody. God does that. It's not even up to us to, to scrape together the courage to speak. God does that. It's not up to us to convict people of their sin. God does that. All we have to do, according to Romans 10, is speak. Be obedient to God. Share the gospel. Share your story. That's it. God does the rest. And then if we see people cross from death to life, we get to say, hey, um, Can I help you with what's next? We call that discipleship. And the beauty of this is God tells these people, and I think he reiterates it to us over and over and over in Matthew 28 and in Acts 1, that, by the way, in you doing this, you're going to find mission and you're going to find peace. In their welfare, you will find yours. In their welfare, you will find yours. And if we do want to kick down to verse 11, it says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare, not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. While it's not the same for us as it was for the people of Judah, I do believe that verse entirely. In our context, I believe it entirely. Romans 8, 28 echoes, and he says, I'm working together all things for the good of those who, who, who are called according to his purpose, that know God and who are called according to his purpose. I believe that with all sincerity. It doesn't mean that I'm going to have the biggest house on the block doesn't mean that I'm getting anything newer than a 2001 Jeep Cherokee and I'm fine with that. But what it does mean is that God's good was meant for all his kids and we get to share in it. And so yeah, prosperity awaits. Prosperity awaits. It may be different than some people define it, but as God defines it, it's eternal, it's good, and we can't lose it. We can't lose it. If you have if you have difficulty thinking through this idea that we are here for other people, if you can't get past yourself, I'm not here to condemn you today. I'm here to ask you, just let's, let's chat. Let's meet. Let's talk for coffee. Meet with your community group leader. Meet with, with Stephen and Kaylin, or my wife or Neil and Lindsay or John and Christine when they get back from hiking and sweating so much. You know, just, just talk to us and say, look, I, I can't see past myself can't see past myself, that's an indicator that man, maybe, maybe we're worshiping a false gospel, and I'd love to talk to you about that, and just, man, let's hash that out and have a conversation um, but otherwise how can we make life better for all those in our, our circle those that are our neighbors that we're told to love like we love ourselves, how do we do that um, Maybe this week it's just maybe this week it's just looking for that one opportunity that one place that you can invest. And maybe after you find that one place this week, you you go back next week, and you go back the next week, and you're just consistent. And you say, you know what, God, as a matter of fact, I'm even going to pray for this place and pray for the people in this place. I'm going to pray for their welfare, their ultimate welfare, but whatever it takes for me to get there, I'll do that. I'll do that. Let me pray. God, we love you. Uh, We thank you for your word. We thank you, God, for the message to the people of Judah that resonates with us, that you have placed us here now in this place amongst these people um, for those who do not know you, as well as for one another. God, I pray that as we, we live in this amazing city and the, the corresponding neighborhoods that we live in, and uh, God, I pray that we would seek for ways to make it better. Um, and not just make it better for better's sake, but to make it better for like the ultimate peace that you promised, your shalom, that uh, you desire that all men and women come to know you. You want to see them changed, and you want to allow them to have opportunities to hear and respond to your gospel, your good news. I pray that you would equip us. I pray that you would push us. I pray that you would give us opportunities uh, to be your light and to be the salt that you've told us to be. God, thank you for your word today, and it's in your son's name we pray. Amen.